The Rosary, Chapter 20. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Pat Elder, San Antonio, Florida, January 2007. Chapter 20. Jane Reports Progress. Letter from the Honorable Jane Champion to Sir Derek Brand, Castle Gleneesh, New Brunswick. My dear Derek, my wires and postcards have not told you much beyond the fact of my safe arrival. Having been here a fortnight, I think it is time I sent you a report. Only you must remember that I am a poor scribe. From infancy it has always been difficult for me to write anything beyond that stock commencement. I hope you are quite well, and I approach the task of a descriptive letter with an effort which is colossal. And yet I wish I might for once borrow the pen of a ready writer, because I cannot help knowing that I have been passing through experiences such as do not often fall to the lot of a woman. Nurse Rosemary Gray is getting along capitally. She is making herself indispensable to the patient, and he turns to her with a completeness of confidence which causes her heart to swell with professional pride. Poor Jane has got no further than hearing from his own lips that she is the very last person in the whole world he would wish should come near him in his blindness. When she was suggested as a possible visitor, he said, Oh my God, no, and his face was wild with horrid protest. So Jane is getting her horsewhipping, boy and, according to the method of a careful and thoughtful judge who orders thirty lashes of the cat in three applications of ten. So is Jane's punishment laid on at intervals, not more than she can bear at a time, but enough to keep her heart continually sore, and her spirit in perpetual dread. And you, dear clever doctor, are proved perfectly right in your diagnosis of the sentiment of the case. He says her pity would be the last straw on his already heavy cross, and the expression is an apt one, her pity for him being indeed a thing of straw. The only pity she feels is pity for herself, thus hopelessly caught in the meshes of her own mistake. But how to make him realize this is the puzzle. Do you remember how the Israelites were shut in between Migdal and the sea? I knew Migdal meant towers, but I never understood the passage until I stood upon that narrow wedge of desert with the Red Sea in front and on the left, the rocky range of Jabal Attica on the right towering up against the sky like the weird shapes of an impregnable fortress the sole outlet or inlet behind being the route they had just traveled from egypt and along which the chariots and horsemen of pharaoh were thundering in hot pursuit even so boy is poor jane now tramping her patch of desert which narrows daily to the measure of her despair migdal is his certainty that her love could only be pity the Red Sea is the confession into which she must inevitably plunge to avoid scaling Migdal, in the chill waters of which, as she drags him in with her, his love is bound to drown, as waves of doubt and mistrust sweep over its head, doubts which he has lost the power of removing, mistrust which he can never hope to prove have been false and mistaken, and behind come galloping the hosts of Pharaoh, chance, speeding on the wheels of circumstance at any moment some accident may compel a revelation and instantly he will be scaling rocky migdal with torn hands and bleeding feet and she poor jane floundering in the depths of the red sea oh for a moses with divine commission to stretch out the rod of understanding love making a safe way through so that together they might reach the promised land 
Dear wise old boy, dare you undertake the role of Moses? But here I am writing like a page of Baedeker and failing to report on actual facts. As you may suppose, Jane grows haggard and thin in spite of old Marjorie's porridge, which is put on every day after lunch for the next morning's breakfast, and anybody passing gives it a stir. Did you know that was the right way to make porridge, Derek? I always thought it was made in five minutes, as wanted. Marjorie says that must be the English stuff which profanely goes by the name New Brunswick. Please mark the self-control with which I repeat Scott remarks. Without rushing into weird spelling, a senseless performance, it seems to me. For if you already know how old Marjorie pronounces porridge, you can read her pronunciation into the sentence. And if you do not know it, no grotesque spelling on my part could convey to your mind any but a caricatured version of the pretty Scott accent with which Marjorie says, Stir the porridge, Nurse Gray. In fact, I am agreeably surprised at the ease with which I understand the natives and the pleasure I derive from their conversation. For after wrestling with one or two modern novels dealing with the highlands, I had expected to find the language an unknown tongue. Instead of which, lo and behold, old Marjorie, Maggie the housemaid, MacDonald the gardener, and MacAllister the gamekeeper all speak a rather purer English than I do, far more carefully pronounced, and with every R sounded and rolled. Their idioms are far more characteristic than their accents. They say whenever for when, and use in their verbs several quaint variations of tense. But what a syntactical digression! Oh, boy, the wound at my heart is so deep and so sore that I dread the dressings, even by your delicate touch. Where was I? Ah, the porridge gave me my loophole of escape. Well, as I was saying, Jane grows worn and thin, old Marjorie's porridge notwithstanding, but Nurse Rosemary Gray is flourishing, and remains a pretty, dainty little thing, with an additional charm of fluffy, fly-away floss silk for hair, Dr. Robb's own unaided contribution to the fascinating picture. By the way, I was quite unprepared to find him such a character. I learned much from Dr. Mackenzie, and I love Dr. Robb, excepting on those occasions when I long to pick him up by the scruff of his fawn overcoat and drop him out of the window. On the point of Nurse Rosemary's personal appearance, I found it best to be perfectly frank with the household. You can have no conception how often awkward moments arose, as, for instance, in the library the first time Garth came downstairs, when he ordered Simpson to bring the steps for Miss Gray, and Simpson opened his lips to remark that Nurse Gray could reach the top shelf on her own tiptoes with the greatest of ease, he having just seen her do it. Mercifully, the perfect training of an English manservant saved the situation, and he merely said, Yes, sir, certainly, sir, and looked upon me standing silently by as a person who evidently delighted in giving unnecessary trouble. Had it been dear old Marjorie with her scotch tongue, which starts slowly but gathers momentum as it rolls, and can never be arrested until the full flood of her thoughts has been poured forth, I should have been constrained to pick her up bodily by my dainty arms and carry her out. So I sent for Simpson and Marjorie to the dining room that evening, when the master was safely out of earshot, and told them that, for reasons which I could not fully explain, a very incorrect description of my appearance had been given him. He thought me small and slim, fair and very pretty, and it was most important, in order to avoid long explanations and mental confusion for him, that he should not at present be undeceived. Simpson's expression of polite attention did not vary, and his only comment was, 
"'Certainly, miss, quite so. "'But across old Marjorie's countenance, "'while I was speaking, passed many shades of opinion, "'which fortunately, by the time I finished, "'crystallized into an approving smile of acquiescence. "'She even added her own commentary. "'And a very good thing, too, I am thinking, "'for Master Garth, poor laddie, "'was always so set upon having beauty about him. "'Master Garthy, I would say to him, "'when he had friends coming, and all his ideas in talking over the dinner concerned the cleaning up of the old silver, and putting out the valentine glass and worsted china. Master Garthy, I would say, feeling the occasion called for the apt quoting of scripture, it appears to me that your attention is given entirely to the outside of the cup and platter, and you care nothing for all the good things that lie within. So it is just as well to keep him deceived, Miss Gray." and then as simpson coughed tactfully behind his hand and nudged her very obviously with his elbow she added as a sympathetic afterthought for though a homely face may indeed be redeemed by its kindly expression you cannot very well explain expression to the blind so you see derrick this shrewd old body who has known garth from boyhood would have entirely agreed with the decision three years ago well to continue my report the voice gave us some trouble as you foresaw and the whole plan hung in the balance during a few awful moments for though he easily accepted the explanation we had planned he sent me out and told dr mackenzie my voice in his room would madden him dr robb was equal to the occasion and won the day and garth having once given in never mentioned the matter again only sometimes i see him listening and remembering but nurse rosemary gray has beautiful hours when poor anxious yearning jane is shut out for her patient turns to her and depends on her and talks to her and tries to reach her mind and shows her his and is a wonderful person to live with and know jane marching about in the cold outside and hearing them talk realizes how little she understood the beautiful gift which was laid at her feet how little she had grasped the nature and the mind of the man whom she dismissed as a mere boy nurse rosemary sitting beside him during the long sweet hours of companionship is learning it and jane ramping up and down her narrow strip of desert tastes the sirocco of despair and now i come to the point of my letter and though i am a woman i will not put in a postscript derrick can you come up soon to pay him a visit and talk to me i don't think i can bear it unaided much longer and he would so enjoy having you and showing you how he had got on and all the things he had already learned to do also you might put in a word for jane or at all events get his mind on the subject oh boy if you could spare forty-eight hours and a breath of the moors would be good for you also i have a little private plan which depends largely for its fulfillment on your coming oh boy come yours needing you Jeanette. From Sir Derek Brand to Nurse Rosemary Gray, Castle Gleneesh, New Brunswick, Wimpole Street. My dear Jeanette, certainly I will come. I will leave Euston on Friday evening. I can spend the whole of Saturday and most of Sunday at Gleneesh, but must be home in time for Monday's work. I will do my best, only alas, I am not Moses, and do not possess his wonder-working rod moreover latest investigations have proved that the israelites could not have crossed at the place you mentioned 
but further north at the bitter lakes a mere matter of detail in no way affecting the extreme appositeness of your illustration rather adding to it for i fear there are bitter waters ahead of you my poor girl still i am hopeful nay more than hopeful confident often of late in connection with you i have thought of the promise about all things working together for good any one can make good things work together for good but only the heavenly father can bring good out of evil and taking all our mistakes and failings and foolishnesses cause them to work to our most perfect well-being the more intricate and involved this problem of human existence becomes the greater the need to take as our own clear rule of life trust in the lord with all thine heart and lead not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths ancient marching orders and simple but true and therefore eternal i am glad nurse rosemary is proving so efficient but i hope we may not have to face yet another complication in our problem suppose our patient falls in love with dainty little nurse rosemary where will jane be then i fear the desert would have to open its mouth and swallow her up we must avert such a catastrophe could not rosemary be induced to drop an occasional h or confess herself rather gone on simpson oh my poor old girl i could not jest thus were i not coming shortly to your aid how maddening it is and you so priceless but most men are either fools or blind and one is both trust me to prove it to him to my own satisfaction and his if i get the chance yours always devotedly derrick brand from sir derrick brand to dr robert mackenzie dear mackenzie do you consider it to be advisable that i should shortly pay a visit to our patient at gleneesh and give an opinion on his progress i find i can make it possible to come north this weekend i hope you are satisfied with the nurse i sent up yours very faithfully derrick brand from dr robert mackenzie to sir derrick brand dear sir derrick every possible need of the patient is being met by the capable lady you sent to be his nurse i am no longer needed nor are you for the patient but i deem it exceedingly advisable that you should shortly pay a visit to the nurse who is losing more flesh than a lady of her proportions can well afford some secret care besides the natural anxiety of having the responsibility of this case is wearing her out she may confide in you she cannot quite bring herself to trust in your humble servant robert mackenzie end of chapter twenty the rosary by florence l barclay this recording is in the public domain